Do you remember what it was like to wait when you were a child? Specifically, do you remember what it was like to wait for Christmas when you were a child? I don't know about you, but I can remember uh, right after Thanksgiving being in elementary school, and my school gave us one of those like daily planners, agendas, and I can remember counting the days, not only to Christmas break, which I was definitely looking forward to, but also to Christmas Day itself, because I knew that those presents were waiting under the tree. Um, I knew that I'd get to see family, it'd be a great time, but specifically I was waiting for those presents. But I can remember looking at that calendar and the days would go so slow that you'd be counting down from 20 and 15, and you're just like, oh. It didn't help that the first thing you do every morning was look and, and recount, right? But it's, the days would go slow as you wait for Christmas to come. In fact, that's what this season is all about. It's about the anticipation. It's about the expectation and the hope that we have as Christmas comes. We want to again welcome you to Crosspoint this morning. My name is Cale Courtright, and as you can see, we're in the middle of a series called Worship the King. And today we're going to talk about what it means to bring your gifts to the King. And so if you have a Bible today, I invite you to open up to Matthew chapter 2. That's where uh, we'll be out of this morning. But I want to reiterate what Jason said, and if you haven't yet claimed your spot to be here for Supper with Santa this week, we hope that you'll do that. It's going to be a great time, uh, full of joy and fun for our kids and for for you of of all ages. So we hope that you'll join us for that. And also put on your calendar to be here two weeks from today for our candlelight service. It's going to be a special time as we celebrate the coming of Jesus, the Christmas story, all together. And so we hope that you'll be here on Christmas Eve. But if you have your Bible turned open, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. And as I said, this is a season of waiting, a season of expectation and of hope. And throughout the centuries, Christians have a name for this season. Yes, we call it Christmas, but they also call it Advent. And the season of Advent, uh, the word Advent just means coming. It means we celebrate the coming of Christ. And so at Christmas, we'll celebrate that coming, but we'll also look ahead in eager expectation for the second coming of Christ. And so during Christmas, we have a foot in the past and in the future because we celebrate the gift that was Jesus and the gift of his return. And as I said, this is a season that um, if you're a child, you're looking forward to gifts, specifically getting gifts. And as we grow, um, I hope for at least some of you, you've grown to where, you know, you like to also give gifts. And I know, for, I know for some of you that maybe you haven't made that change yet, but this year we hope that you will find joy in also giving gifts as well as receiving. I thought that would be funny. Um, <laughs> it's okay, you can admit if you like to get gifts. But this is a season that we celebrate just as much the receiving as we do the giving. And if you have children or grandchildren, you know what it's like to see the joy on another's face. And so in Matthew chapter 2, this is how the text reads, starting in verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose we have come to worship him. 
King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting with the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said. For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from, from them the time that the star first appeared. He told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so here you have the Christmas story. And Matthew, in chapter 2, gives you some details here that you don't find in other places in Scripture. Specifically, you learn about these men from the East. Now, we, we always say there are three wise men, and every nativity scene has that, um, because there are three gifts, but we don't actually know if it was three or ten or more, but you have some sense of how important this event is that they travel so far to come and see Jesus. But more than that, Matthew gives kind of um, a juxtaposition, if you will, of these, these two groups, of these two characters. You have the wise men on one side, and you have King Herod on the other. And they both claim something about Jesus, that they want to worship him. But we know there are two sides of the aisle here. So King Herod, for instance, it's, the text reads that he is deeply disturbed by this news. And this is interesting to me because the text goes on to say that all of Jerusalem is disturbed by this news. And so you might ask, why are they disturbed by this? Do they love King Herod so much that they are worried he'll lose his throne? Well, of course not. That's not what it is. In fact, Herod in this time doesn't have that many friends in Israel. See, when you read through the New Testament, you see King Herod a lot, but in reality, you're going to see multiple King Herods. Uh, This is a family of of Herods that take the throne in Israel. But right before Jesus is born, this Herod is nearing his, his death. He's nearing his old age, and in that, he is grasping the power with both hands. Right before the time of Jesus, he has put to death his, one of his wives because he thought she was coming for the throne. He's also put to death two of his own sons because he's afraid they're trying to take power from him. So King Herod at this time is a deeply disturbed individual who is holding on to power with all that he can. And so it makes sense that Jerusalem is worried about this. What more? And their worry um, is, bound to be cor- is found to be correct. Because after the section we read, it, it talks about how Herod has little boys killed in and around Bethlehem, two years and younger. This is a horrific scene. In fact, the Jews, this reminds them of something, doesn't it? Because when they were enslaved in Egypt, a bad ruler did the exact same thing to them there. And so this is an echo of their story. And so Herod, who claims something, He claims the same thing that the wise men claim. But they are there for just the opposite purpose. They have traveled a distance and have brought gifts in order to worship Jesus. 
And their gifts and their travel tell us something. As I said, most of us this year will get focused on gifts, right? It's the question we ask one another. What are you asking for for Christmas? It's the question we certainly ask little kids, right? What are you going to ask Santa for? In fact, we've created a whole new game with Elf on the Shelf, right? Santa's watching you. Do you want a gift? Well then, you better watch. And if we're not careful, the season can, all, can become all about receiving gifts instead of also giving gifts. But what we know from the wise men here is that gifts are important because they bring gold and frankincense and myrrh. And what you find about these gifts is these are very expensive gifts, gifts fit for only one kind of person. It's something they know about Jesus. It's something we claim, and sometimes we know, it's something they knew, that Jesus Christ is the king. And so they travel with gifts fit for a king. They come and they fall before a baby boy, and they proclaim him as king. And so today, what I want to talk about is our gifts to the king. Because we are called to bring gifts to God. Because he needs them? Of course not. I really like this quote from Dallas Willard. He said, Our need to give is greater than God's need to receive. So something that God knows is that giving is a, a spiritual discipline. We've talked a lot about giving this fall. And one thing that we saw is that it is a spiritual discipline, that it changes us when we give. So does God need our gifts? The God who created the very fiber of your being, the ground you walk on, everything you have, as Hank just eloquently told us? No, God doesn't require your gifts. There is nothing we could offer God that he just has to have. But God desires your gifts. And we should offer our gifts to God for a couple of reasons. The first is because we proclaim him as king. And so he is worthy and deserves our gifts. And the second reason we give gifts to God is because we love him. And those that you love, you shower with gifts. In fact, there's a book called uh, The Five Love Languages. And one of those love languages is giving gifts. And husbands, if you forget, you know, things like anniversaries or birthdays, you'll find out how important giving gifts is if you forget. So don't forget, because giving gifts is important. It is a way that we show someone else that we love them. Take this story of uh, a man named Dave, for instance. His picture is going to come up in a second. Dave, in this picture, was in his early 60s, and he had just found out that he, his kidneys were failing him. In fact, at the time that that picture's taking, they are operating on less than 15% of normal kidney function. Now, this is um, a dire situation for him. In fact, he had lost his mom and his brother to kidney failure. And so his family knew the drill. He immediately got his name put on the transplant list, which could take three years. Um, and he didn't have three years. The doctor said, you'll go on dialysis, but looking at your family history and the situation, you might not have three years. And again, they, they, they tested every family member, every, every blood relative, if there was someone who would match, and there was no match. And so Dave doesn't know what he's going to do, but Dave 
is a faithful person. And so he knows that he's going to give it over to God. At the same time, he has a son-in-law named Andrew who is in his late 20s and says, I'm not a blood relative, but I might as well go get tested. And he didn't tell the family he was going to go test himself because he didn't want to get any hopes up because the the chances were were very small that he would match. Um, But the doctors were encouraged, and so they brought him back in for some more blood tests. Come to find out, his son-in-law, Andrew, in his late 20s, is a match for Dave. And so he goes and he tells his wife and he tells his father-in-law, I'm going to give you one of my kidneys. And at first the family was reluctant to take Andrew's kidney. They said, you're so young. The sacrifice is too great. You have little kids at home. This, this could affect your quality of life. And he said, no, we are part of a family. And families love one another and give gifts to one another. So the surgery went well. Both are healthy some five years later. This is what love looks like, yes? This is a a person who gave of himself, that gave life to another. This is the example that our Savior gave, giving of himself so that we may have life. Now, not every gift requires an organ, but we give gifts for the same reason, because we love God. We offer gifts to him. Remember in this story, we're not talking about giving a gift to his father. This is his father-in-law. And you should all be so lucky to have a son-in-law that is so loving. But this shows how we love others, including how we love God. And so we bring gifts, and and we are called as his people to bring gifts to God. And you might be saying right now, I don't have gifts. I don't have anything to offer. I don't, I'm not a rich a ruler like the wise men. I don't have gold or frankincense or myrrh. Um, I don't have that much to offer. But the Bible tells us that we all have something to offer. So if you have a, your Bible with you, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Some of us may have material gifts to offer, while others or why we all have spiritual gifts to offer. So we're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 4. And Paul writes here, There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the, get, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another, and to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles, and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or, not, or from another Spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides what gift each person should have. So as you read this text, you notice a few things. There are a a lot of gifts, but he doesn't single anybody out. He doesn't say, to those who are given gifts. He says, 
to each who are given gifts. Right after this section, Paul will start talking about the body of Christ. And so he will, his line of argument is, you've all been given gifts, and they've been given for the body of Christ. In fact, look at what it said in verse 7. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Your gift is given to you, but it's not for you. It's for the service to others. And so I believe that as a church family, we are called and brought here for a reason. And that the Bible attests that as the body, we're all important members. We're all vital. We need every part of the body. And what Paul says here is, we also need your gift. And so you have a gift. God has given you a gift that is for the purpose of serving others. So whether you've used your gift or not, I don't know, but, you're, but you have been given a gift, and God intends for you to use it to serve others. This is the purpose of why you have been gifted. And so maybe some of you are, um, haven't practiced your gift as much as others, and you might wonder, what good is this gift? And as I said, it's for another. For Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love God with all that you are, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, you could say that how you love others shows how you love God. In Matthew 25, in the midst of a parable, Jesus will also say, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. So we know that how we serve others, how we use our gifts for others, shows how we love God. And we are to bring our gifts to God. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. And so when I see gifts played out, I can see other people who maybe have more talent than me, or they've certainly had more practice than I do. And, well, in this thing, they're, def- they're better than I am, or maybe they have more money to offer. Um, they can offer a better gift than I can give. It doesn't matter whether your gifts are perfect. No matter what, our, all of our gifts will be imperfect when compared to the gift that is Jesus Christ. But it's a little like this. A few months ago, I came home from work, and I asked uh, Stephen, our five-year-old, how school was that day. <clears throat> and just as a five-year-old can, he started giving me all the details, right? Um, well, I went to these centers, and I did these things, um, and we went to chapel, and we sang this song, and I went to lunch, and I didn't eat it all, but I got close, and we didn't get to play outside today. And then he remembered, oh, yeah, Dad, I drew a picture for you today. This is what that picture looked like. <clears throat> he said, it's our family. And I don't remember who is who, but I do know on, on the very right, that's Savannah while pregnant. That's not me. I know that's what you were thinking. <laughs> and so he walked through, this is, this is me, this is Jackson, this is our family. And he offered me this gift. And you know what I said to him? I've seen better. I mean, it's a, it's a good try, but this is a rough draft, right? <clears throat> you know, I heard of, about this preschool art class you could take, Stephen. Why don't you do that first? Of course not. That's not how a parent would react. What would you say? You would say, oh, thank you so much. This is a great drawing. This is awesome. Thank you. Stephen, for thinking of us. He went to his center, he sat down, and he wanted to give his parents a gift. And we wouldn't receive that gift as not good enough. 
So how much more when we offer our gifts to a perfect heavenly father does he receive our gifts? He takes our gifts and he loves them when we offer them to his glory. Because he knows our hearts and he knows that we love him and it's out of our love that we give to him. So some of us have material things, material gifts to offer. Some of us have, we all have spiritual gifts to offer. So in this season of giving, what gifts can we offer Jesus? He who is the greatest gift. And the first that I would suggest we offer this season is the gift of presence. Not presents under the tree, presence. Do you know how important it is to show up for other people? When you're there in times of mourning or in times of celebration, it doesn't matter the words that are spoken. It matters that you are there. In fact, this is the season that we celebrate the coming of Jesus, who we call Emmanuel, which means God with us. We call it the incarnation, that this is a gift that Jesus has come and made his presence known to us. And so we should do the same for other people. More and more our attention is scattered these days, that it's hard to really get the focus and attention and presence of another. But it's sometimes the best gift you could offer another. Parents, your children desire your undivided attention. And if you're anything like me, far too often it's divided between a device or a television screen or something else. But our kids need our eyes locked on them and our ears turned to them. In fact, anyone that sits across from you this holiday season, that's what they want from you. They want to see that they are worth your undivided attention. And so being there for people is so important that at the end of the day, people will remember those who showed up for them. They'll forget a lot of other things, but they will remember if you are there. And I think God wants the same from us. He wants us to give others our, our presence, our attention, but he deserves it as well. And so we set aside time through solitude and prayer. We give God our presence through the spiritual disciplines. The second thing we can give this season is like the first, and it's time. I know the crowd in here today, and we all feel like we have more than enough time in the day, don't we? <clears throat> in fact, we all feel busy. Just listen to other people talk. Everyone you talk to today will think they are the busiest person in the room. We know what our schedule's like, and we are all very busy. And it's true that we are busy people. I agree with that. And so how much then does it say to someone when you set aside time for them? Even when you are busy, when you take time out of your calendar to devote to another people. And this is the, this is the truth. You will make time for what is important to you. I love this quote from writer Annie Dillard. She wrote, How we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. What you spend time on every day is what your life will be spent on. It is what is important to you. So, if you say that um, your physical health is important to you, and yet every day is spent in front of the television, we would in fact tell you it's not important to you. If you claim that your family is important to you, but never have any time for them among um, work or your hobbies or anything, well, are they important to you? Because the truth of the matter is that you will make time for what's important to you. This we know. You can look back on 2017. If you could aggregate your entire calendar and segment it, you will find out what's important to you. 
Of course, there are certain things we all have to do, like sleep and eat and work, but your calendar will show you what's important to you. So in this season, find time to devote to others because it will be seen as a great gift. The last thing we can bring, just like the wise men, is our material gifts. Just as they brought gold and frankincense and myrrh to Jesus, so too should we devote material gifts to God. In fact, this is a very giving church. This is something that you live out well. A few months ago, we had a hurricane that hit Houston. Without any heads up, we asked for gifts that day, and this church gave over $4,000 on a whim. You, you sacrificed that much out of your wallet on that day. Last month, we had our Mission Sunday, and we set a big goal of $73,000. And to date, we've been given or pledged nearly $60,000. God is going to bless those funds and do great things in 2018. We also, over the last couple of months, said we want to give Thanksgiving meals to families who need it. And we, high, and we made, set a goal of 120 families, and we raised money, and we devoted time to package those and to deliver them, and we gave a Thanksgiving meal to over 120 families this year. So you are bringing your material gifts. This is something that this church is doing, and so I want you to see how you fit in line with the biblical text. You are bringing gifts to the Savior. And whether it looks like it because you know it's going to buy a turkey um, or little dollars in, in a blue bucket, those gifts are given directly to God. Those are going for his honor and his glory. In reality, all of these things I've suggested today require sacrifice from you. If you're going to give someone else your time, well, that's sacrifice from another way you could spend it. If you're going to bring gifts to another because there, there are needs, well, you could always find something else some other place to give or to spend your money. And even focusing your presence on your children or the person sitting sitting across from you at the meal, you know that your presence could be elsewhere. And so all of these things, to bring gifts to God, requires sacrifice. It requires that we give of ourselves, which is in line with who Jesus is. The thing God desires more than anything, though, is your whole life. He desires that you come to look like him. That when you go out into the world, what, he, what people see is his son shining through you. And because we are baptized people, it, we know that the way we live our life is different. So if you're a teacher, you're a different kind of teacher because you are a teacher that is giving their life to the king. The same is true no matter what your profession is. The way we live our life is different because of our faith in Jesus. And so today, I challenge you to bring your gifts to the king. Because we know that the baby that was laying in the manger is the king of the world. When you see the manger, when you see the cross, we see the king. The world looked on as lowly. There was no room for Jesus. He died a criminal's death, but we see the king. And so in closing today, I'll invite the praise team back to the stage. And you may look at your life and wonder, how am I bringing gifts to the king? Maybe you see ways that you need to bring gifts, and we want to partner with you as that happens. Because we know what God knows is that we should be devoting our entire life over to him. When we see the manger, when we see the cross, we see the king that is worth everything.
And so in the singing of this next song, our shepherds will be around the room, ready to receive you in prayer, knowing that you are people who are following the one true king. Let's stand and sing.